Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much to Chava and Chaim Aaron Green for sponsoring today's episode in honor of their daughter, Devorah Leah. We are so grateful for your support. Welcome, Rabbi Yaffe. Um, I'm very excited to have you on this call. Rabbi Shlomo Yaffe is the rabbi at Congregation B'nai Torah, um, and he is also a board member here at Bacheva Learning Center. He is a scholar, a lecturer who has been lecturing worldwide on various topics in halacha and Jewish philosophy and many other areas of Torah. So um, it's been an honor to have been working with you for the last seven years on this project of Bacheva Learning Center. Um, and I'm honored to have you here um, today as well. Um, I'm going to start with asking a question about the development of halacha in general. So generally speaking, we believe that halacha doesn't change um, or adapt to the times. Um, it remains constant regardless of changing times. Um, however, Torah study for women seems to be a clear exception. Um, we seem to see that, you know, halakha authorities have looked at Torah, women's Torah study as something which um, we've changed, in, at least to some degree, um, the uh, the prohibition or the ban on women's Torah study. And um, the question is, do we have other examples of this in halacha? Um, and if not, how would to- women's Torah study be different than other areas of halacha? Okay, so first of all, halacha does not change in response to, it's not supposed to change in response to external values. And sometimes changes in response to external pressures. It sometimes changes in response to internal development. By way of example, it used to be that the obligation to pray was daily. You composed your own prayer. And along came Ezra and the Anshe Knesset Sagdola and decreed that we pray two or later three times a day. Um, and most important, they made a matbeya. They made a specific form of the brachot. And if you don't say the Shemon Esrei with that specific form, you don't fulfill your obligation, even though previously you did. There's a whole range of, of midirabanans and so on. And, uh, and you know, Hillel came along and used a, a, a derisa loophole. He created a whole system for prusbal with regards to collect your money after the sabbatical year, the, where normally all loans are, are canceled. So, I mean, you know, and, you know, and there's decrees, you know, relating to to the wine of non-Jews and so on and so forth. And there was a decree relating to the oil of non-Jews that was later uprooted. I mean, I, we don't have to give a go through a halacha thing. Halacha absolutely uh, changes things that that are pro- permitted become prohibited and vice versa. Uh, but the concept is that we don't allow the key idea is. We don't allow an external value that is not internally driven by Judith. So, for example, why do we start lighting Hanukkah candles inside? Because it was dangerous. So danger is an external factor, but one that halacha internally, intrinsically recognizes. That's, I think, the key point that all Jews who follow, for all the range of opinions in the classical approach to Torah, this is pretty universal. And it certainly certainly is the mainstream uh, view of what today we call orthodoxy, and certainly 
it is the position of all the Lubavitcher Rabbeim. That being said, women's Torah study is not unique. It, it is not unique in this area. In other words, remember, we're dealing here with a certain class of halacha, a class of halacha that says that, that due to uh, possible unfortunate outcomes, we limit access to certain areas of Torah. So, for example, when the Torah was transmitted, when halacha was transmitted orally, the laws of forbidden relationships could only be taught to two people at a time, less than a bigger class. You hear something wrong and end up creating a disaster among your students if you go live in, you know, in Yehupitzville before there was even mail, let alone telegram, telephones, internet, and so on and so forth. So, and later, once things became written down, we learned the laws of forbidden relationships, you know, from a book. We learned it in a classroom. We learned it in a smicha program and so on. The same applies. There was a very strict uh, decree, a takona, that was across the board, Ashkenazic, the communities, not to learn Kabbalah until you were expert in Talmud and Jewish law and at least 40 years of age. And along came the Ari and says, we have to reveal this wisdom and from the Baal Shem Tevon, this particular, at least via the uh, Hasidut approaches, uh, the ideas of Kabbalah, this whole idea, this whole uh, prohibition was removed. And the by this and by the same token, we're not dealing with a prohibition like mukta or uh, or for the wine or milk of non-Jews or so on. We're not dealing with this. What we're saying? Why? How do I know? So as the Lubavitcher Rebbe points out um, in this very, very uh, fundamental core talk from Parshat Emor, which we're in this week, Parshat Emor, Tav Shinun of 1990, it's a collection, you know, it's, it's a sikh he said that he edited, that he uh, he looked over all the comments and added some of his own, and this is uh, edited and approved by the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself. Um, he makes the point that we're not talking here about a prohibition because just like there were people who studied Kabbalah all along, even some of them were under 40. I mean, if you think of it, how old was the Rabbi Yitzhak Loria, the Ari, who was the source of 90% of the Kabbalah we learned today? How old was he when he died? 38. So clearly, clearly this, there are exceptions. In other words, and more than that, we find that there were many that that uh, that there were many uh, Yalta and, and Bruria and numerous uh, women from the periods of the Gaonim and the Rishonim, uh, you know, for, then through the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, there were numerous highly learned women. No one ever said they were engaged in a prohibition. It's not like we say, oh, you know, uh, I know there's no camels around, I can drink any milk I want. My non-Jews don't worship idols and I don't intend to marry any of their daughters. I can drink all the non-Jewish wine I want. It's not like that. Because where you have a, a, in other words, there's two kinds of reasons for a prohibition. The first type is where we give a reason, but the prohibition stands on its own. It's a takana, it's a decree, and that's that. With regards to women's learning, with regards to not studying Kabbalah before a certain age, there was never a blank, a prohibition because of a reason. The reason is the prohibition. In other words, what the Talmud says, what later authorities say, is that given the fact that women 
tend not to be intellectually sophisticated. And before all your listeners jump down my throat, the reality is that women on the whole were not uh, heavily educated in any society for most of uh, most of the time until perhaps, uh, you know, the the until the Renaissance. And even then it was only the upper crust. If you look at a book from the Italian Renaissance, and because I didn't prepare it, I don't remember the title, a book called City of Women. Uh, you know, this woman is arguing in the in the 1500s that women are perfectly capable of intellectual endeavor as much as men. So that's a long way through history. And there were always women who were highly learned and were praised for being so. So the Rebbe asks, how could this be? The answer is that the entire idea of the limitation of women's learning is not some kind of decree. It's a statement that because it's the case that your average woman was not intellectually sophisticated. And the concern was also that the sophistication they would get by a haphazard study would simply uh, give them, you know, sort of a foul sophistication, the ability to ask questions and get wrong answers and not properly to understand things in a way that would enhance their Judaism. This half, you know, this half-baked bit here, a bit there knowledge would be destructive to the to their Judaism. Therefore, on the whole, we said not to anyone who this didn't apply to. Throughout history, there were always women who were substantially learned because the the entire decree and the all the statements in the Code of Jewish Law, right up through the Alter Rebbe, the Rishner Zalman of Liadi, and the laws of the study of Torah, they're all based on the factual reality. Of, in other words, it's be, the it's no, there's no prohibition of learning with women. There's a prohibition of learning uh, advanced and sophisticated ideas with people who are not ready for them. Exactly the same as the prohibition on Kabbalah before Kabbalah became broadly understood through the medium of Hasidut, starting with the Arizal actually, but then through the meaning of the the medium of of Hasidus. So once you understand this, you understand that. That when we have a situation, and already we're talking in the early nineteenth, early twentieth century, Sarah Schneer is talking about this. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe writes about this, where women are educated and are thinking critically and are exposed to all the wrong and bad ideas of the world. The only way to combat that is to give them a thorough, sophisticated understanding, so they own their Judaism and can explain it to themselves and to others. Now, the Rebbe goes on to say that the same way that originally the studying of the inner dimension of Torah was allowed for everyone because of the enormous pressures of the end of exile and the, the ill winds sweeping from the so-called enlightenment and the modernization of the world and so on, but ultimately this prepares the world for the coming of Mashiach, where the whole world will understand Judaism from the inside out, understand Hashem's ways from the inside out, even non-Jews, certain aspects of Kabbalah and Chassidus are relevant to. By the same token, all the more so within the Jewish people, the fact that women must learn the inner dimension of Torah and Talmud and Halacha on a very sophisticated way in order for them to have ownership of their Judaism and be able to deal with the questions that arise internally and externally because of the fact that you can't keep the world out and we're out there and we're educated and the world is coming in and so on. That fact, though, the, that necessity act is by divine providence 
and therefore we have to accept it as a as a positive uh, movement in the direction of Mashiach. When it says the feminine shall transcend the masculine, that the feminine knowledge and depth of understanding, the keva to sovev gaver, the idea of eshes chayelateres baila, that the woman of valor is the crown of her husband, and this relates to malchut. But women express the the uh, Kabbalistic sphere of Malchut more than men, you know, and this idea, this idea now brings us to the to another point the Rebbe makes in this talk, that that uh, originally we used to say um, that uh, that w- that when a girl is born we wish Latora Tovim she should grow up to Torah to marriage and to good deeds. So the Rebbe Rashab explains because women support their husbands and sons Torah study. But the Rebbe went on to say that nowadays where, 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 where women are obliged to learn at a high level, that brings another level of assistance where they should be able to assist their husbands and sons, no matter how high, how high their level, they should be able to assist them in their actual learning. Because now they're learning, there's no reason that they shouldn't reach a point where they can assist them. And therefore, it's clear that the Rebbe's vision is that, uh, is that, a Jewish mother should be able to study at the level of her husbands and sons in very advanced, very advanced Talmudic learning. The Rebbe also said, and um, I'm look, I haven't found uh, the citation, but it was one of the uh, where the Rebbe spoke speak to spoke to the women and the graduates of the Beis Rivka High School and Seminary, where he said that since it since the quality that one apprehends the inner dimension of Torah, Kabbalah, and Chassidus is Bina, understanding, and Bina is one of the feminine spherot, it follows that it follows that women have an even greater capacity to understand the inner dimension, in other words, the Kabbalistic and in particular the the Hasidic thought, uh, on a level even beyond that of men, so their obligation to study is therefore even greater than that of men. So and, and all of this comes together. So this is not this is not a change in halacha, actually. It's not a decree or the removal of a decree like nowadays we find permission for people to listen to music, even though when the temple was destroyed, it was forbidden to ever listen to music at all. And so this is a different thing. This is simply a halacha which represented the concerns about, about teaching sophisticated matter to people who were not trained in sophisticated thinking. And therefore, there's a general statement because that was the statistical reality at the time. Once the statistical reality changes, the halacha doesn't exist. The halacha was never about not teaching women because if there was such a decree, these great and holy women would have been the last ones to learn Torah. So I, I, so that's the answer to your first set of questions. This is, this is not, which is why, which is why uh, the... The idea that men and women have different roles and missions within Judaism, in terms of mitzvot and so on, and and in and in terms of of particular rabbinic enactments uh, with regards to public prayer and so on, that's something we don't see a change uh, in the Rebbe's teachings or any mainstream uh, mainstream understanding of halacha, because the this is these are obligations that were placed on one group and not on the other, and vice versa. So that's a different story. You know, the takanot in the first place uh, were were made for were made for different groups of people. But but here we're talking about uh, about a 
a statement of fact that is formulated in halacha, and when that's wherever that statement of fact doesn't apply, it's not that we change or suspend the halacha. The halacha doesn't exist. There is no such halacha. Women shouldn't learn Torah. There is a halacha that people who are not sufficiently sophisticated and might in in their cultural structure take uh, take the words of Torah uh, and uh, and and either use them incorrectly or not properly understand them. And, you know, this has a lot to do with the particular uh, culture intellectually and otherwise in which women lived across the board, not just in the Jewish world. You know, they, the life of, of both men and women was very different, uh, certainly pre-industrial age, certainly pre-20th century in the sense that the basic business of, of, uh, of living took a great deal of time. You know, think of all the of all the things that uh, save us time, washing machines, running water, indoor plumbing, etc. Uh, and a lot of, uh, you know, and, and there's an assumption you'll see throughout Allah that a lot of men don't know very basic things, which now, if someone grows up in a home that's committed to Allah, they know all these things that very often in Gemara and Shulchan Aruch, we assume that men don't know and can't do. So I, I think I think this is the key point. Just um, a few things I want to, to follow up about. So, so you seem to be saying that the general idea is that with women's Torah study, there was a specific reason for the prohibition, which was that women, generally speaking, and like you're saying, majority of men also for a long period in history, weren't educated. Two reasons. One, that they might take the sophisticated ideas and misuse them. Uh, in other words, to use the language that they would become a slyness created. In other words, picking and choosing bits and pieces because, you know, it's two things. One is a culture of learning, and the other is misusing things because you're not trained intellectually. And also, and so, and, and these, these two issues, both of superficial understanding or misuse due to picking and choosing caused by a lack of a very comprehensive kind of study, uh, are the two things quoted um, in, in halakha, where we bring these ideas down. And, and I should say that the Rebbe in general, the Lubavitcher Rebbe in general, was extremely, I, I, would, uh, I would respectfully use the words fanatically, loyal to the Alter Rebbe's Shulchan Aruch and, and, you know, and to the Alter Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe writes extensively about what well, we could learn and shouldn't learn and you know, should learn and shouldn't learn. And the Alter Rebbe is quite strict about this. And the Rebbe, in essence, completely... Ignores this in this sikhan and the yechidus he had with the Belzer Rebbe, I believe in 1981, simply because the entire halacha is a statement of fact rather than a statement of decree. And I, I would respectfully say that those who think it's some kind of decree misunderstand the whole nature of the halacha going all the way back to the Gemara, to the Talmud. Talmud. Okay, so so I'm just trying to see like where's their evidence of what you're saying in like classic halachic writings, right? Because it, it seems to me that you know with Sarah Schneer and and you know the halachic authorities that supported her, it was sort of a bidyeved. It was like okay, we're living in very difficult times when women are anyways getting access to education that is um, estranging them from Judaism. So we have to like sort of as a bidyeved as like the better of the two evils, we're going to also give them um, access to Jewish education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, so I'm saying the Lubavitcher Rebbe takes a different approach. He says, yes, originally the cause of this is because of the of the increased level of, of uh, challenge and sophistication and so on. 
But once that happens, as the, the Rebbe pointed out, once they're learning all these other things, they certainly need to learn Talmud. They need to learn Halacha in depth. They need to learn Chassidus in depth. In other words, yes, the reason for the change is because of the increasing intellectual sophistication of women across the board. But then this becomes a good thing. This becomes becomes a necessity. Be the evident or not, it becomes a necessity. And but but that necessity is two components. One component is that there's no longer an issue, and the second component is that this is all part of the direction. Because anything that halacha demands internally is part of the progress of halacha. That's something I was talking about. Like the the, the Rebbe made the point that that tshuva doesn't save you from being executed by a beitin because the beitin can't know what you think. Now that there is no there is no bait in who executes people. People can do tshuva even for the worst sins and be forgiven and go on living as Jews. And the Rebbe says the fact that by divine providence we don't have the death penalty is progress because it includes more Jews and doesn't cut them off. Same thing here. Uh-huh. But my, my, my point, but, uh, the, but the Rebbe made another point in this sicha, a very clear point, that there exists no prohibition per se, because again, let's go back. Uh, it may have been a bidyevid something, in other words, after the fact, something caused, or more correctly, caused by circumstances across the board, but for individuals, there was never a prohibition. So it's clear, in other words, if it's a prohibition, it's for everyone. If it's a statement of let's not misuse Torah, so then it doesn't apply to those who it doesn't apply. Now that everyone's educated and everyone has attained a degree of sophistication, it doesn't apply at all. The Rebbe's question is that that if this was the case, that this wasn't the case before, what does the change teach us? And the change teaches us, since it's by divine providence and since it's mandated by halacha, even as, as you argue, it's after the fact, since by divine providence we're in this place, this is the best possible place to be. In other words, the, the Rebbe's position is that where divine providence um, demands within halacha itself a change, such as the end of the death penalty and so on, that is part of Hashem's plan to move towards Mashiach. That's why I, uh, in a recent talk, I connected this discussion about the death penalty from Tutas Kislev, Tavshin Kafe, Tutas Kislev, 1965 or 64, actually, with the... Um, with the with this particular issue. No, so my question is, um, I know Lubavitch Rebbe's approach was, as you said, my question is, is this reflected in other halachic opinions? Meaning, do we see this across the board that the, the reason for this prohibition was only because of circumstances that women lived in during those times, and now that that no longer exists, then the prohibition is just no longer relevant? Um, do we see that reflected in other sources? Well, the simple answer is, if you look at any... And any institution that teaches Talmud to women uh, that is uh, following halacha, that is, again, I hate labels, but is an orthodox institution, uh, their their rabbonim have come pretty much to the same conclusion. You know, and there's a lot of such institutions. And I should say um, that uh, the Rabbi Yosef Dov Soloveitchik, no one in, in in the in his circles, uh, the mainstream Orthodox circles, as the Rav and so on, uh, very much enthusiastically supported um, teaching Talmud to women, starting with relatively young grades at Maimonides in Boston, 
he promised to write an article on the topic, but never never did for whatever reason. But there are many in Israel. There's there's you know, and again, we're not talking about what I would say the 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 fringe of orthodoxy that it's a question whether they're really halachic anymore. We're talking about you know very mainstream, uh, very mainstream institutions who have very respected rabbanim at their helm. Uh, honestly, honestly speaking, uh, in my life, which is you know pretty much in the you know you're you're you know dealing with your pretty you know the 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 the, the fat part of the bell curve of American Jews, uh, no one's ever challenged studying Talmud with women or with girls in the schools I've taught. Um, and on the other hand, uh, I find uh, not I I study a lot of different sources uh, with God's help, but I find the Lubavitcher Rebbe's approach perfectly adequate. And it makes perfect sense. It matches the entire halachic on the issue. Uh, so you know, I you know, quite honestly, I would assume that those who permit it are pretty much in that same camp, because basically the only way to simply, in, in essence, ignore something that says in the Code of Jewish Law, what the Code of Jewish Law says, it's okay to ignore it. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, and uh, I can, um, you know, I, you know, I can, uh, you know, I can, you know, there are examples in the other direction that I can give. For example, if you look at early, uh, you know, early post-Talmudic writing, um they say there's no obligation to check the lungs of an animal. Every Jewish community for thousands, for at least 15, well, 1,200 years at least, has checked the lungs of the animal because, you know, as Jews moved into the Northern Hemisphere, animals started having more lung issues. Also, the way cattle was raised changed and so on. It became pretty clear that there's a lot of lung issues and, you and you know, every shochet, you know, every shochet in every little town has checked the lungs of an animal, you know, even though it, it wasn't uh, requ- required uh, in the early text for the simple reason that uh, the premise was that it was extremely rare. Once it's not extremely rare, you got to change things. Um, not you're changing halacha. The premise why you didn't have to check the lungs is because it was extremely rare. Once it's not extremely rare, you do have to check the lungs. It's, it's not that the halacha changed. Whereas, for example, uh, other laws which make a categorical statement of fact based on halacha so we follow that categorical statement of fact. So, for example, when we said that because of the weather cycles in in uh, Mesopotamia, we start saying, saying Talmud Levracha, blessed is God who gives us rain and so on, 60 days after the, after the fall equinox is calculated by the in, by the relatively incorrect uh, Julian calendar, we we you know the the Julian cycle of three sixty five and a quarter. Uh, we follow, we still follow that because it's a categorical statement of halacha, not a not a statement of oh when the weather changes or when it's rainy season. They say this is when we say it because of. So even though the because of doesn't apply and the calendar the solar calendar has marched on from the imperfect Julian calculation, we nevertheless keep the halacha because the halacha is established. The same, the same reason. For example, there's a debate with you know the the debate with regards to to Chol of Yisrael. Do you have to keep Chol of Yisrael? The answer is you do have to keep Chol of Yisrael. Reb Moshe Feinstein and others, he wasn't the first, argued that there that there are sources in Rishonim and Achronim, there's a Shach and so on that make it uh, starts really with a Tosfot, 
but make it quite clear that where we're confident that the non-Jewish farmer will be afraid to add to add a uh, non-kosher milk to the kosher milk, that we're okay. So those who are strict say that doesn't exactly apply in every farm in the U.S., every commercial dairy in the U.S., and Ramosha and those who hold with him say it does. So this is a legitimate debate, but both sides agree that the, that the decree of Chol of Yisrael stands. Even if we live in a country where there's not too much camel milk floating around or pig milk floating around, the halacha stands. What Ramosha and others who permitted are not saying that we're allowing Chol they're saying that the regular milk from the dairies is Chol of Yisrael according to halacha. So, so my point being that you that that where there's a decree, the decree doesn't change and cannot change. Only how we understand where the decree applies and doesn't apply changes, and that's not a change. It's and a, this is an argument that could take place at any point in history. The fact that there that and more than that, as you go through more than that, if you look at a very good source of history because the previous Lubavitch Rebbe collected an enormous number of anecdotes and later dictated them to a journalist that became what we call the memoirs, the Zechreinus, first in Yiddish, then in, uh, then in Hebrew. It's clear that as far back as the 1600s, the Nistarim, those who embraced Kabbalah, taught many of their daughters and wives on a very high level, at least the, the, the leaders of these communities, and those who were against Hasidus and Kabbalah well, there's no Hasidus yet, but those who were against teaching Nistar tended not to teach their wives. And there are at least, and daughters, at least four or five examples of this um, in the Zichron. So it's very clear that this is a very old discussion. And it's also clear, I mean, they're, they're, that in the times of the Gaonim, there were women who were known to be great scholars. So I, I think that that women's Torah, that it's a bit of a of a red herring to to suggest that women's Torah learning is somehow a change in halacha because the halacha has been exactly the same all along as it is at this moment. What's changed is how many exceptions there are. In other words, it was always permitted for the exceptions to learn. The exceptions might have been a hundred to a generation in the 13th century. They might have been a thousand to a generation in the 17th century. And today, the exception is everyone. But the halacha hasn't changed in iota. It's the same thing with the inner dimension of Torah. What changed? The fact that, that, that starting with Ari and then the Baal Shem, in particular, the Chabad system which, of Hasidus, which is, of course, studied. It's not, it's not the philosophy of a small group of Hasidim called Chabad. It's an approach that Jews all over the world study. Um, but once that system became... Uh, became developed, the inner dimension of Torah became accessible to absolutely everyone, even very young people, even people beyond the Jewish community, where it's appropriate. So what changed? What changed is the class of people who are included in that class who can study the inner dimension of Torah. But the halacha didn't change, just the, cl- the size of the class changed. Right, right, nice. So, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that halacha can't change based on external factors, Right. Um, it has to be from based on something within the realm of halacha itself. It's not so simple. Let's be fair. If you're scared, if we light the Hanukkah candle on the table, Hanukkah menorah on the table, because of fear of uh, of uh, you know of what the you know of what uh, uh, that non-Jews will destroy it or harass you, um, you know we 
the, you know, we, we stop doing, really you're supposed to do Berachat Kohanim every day because of the travails of exile. We start, we only do it on Yontav outside Israel. There's a lot of things where external realities affect halacha, but only when those external realities are recognized by halacha. There, there, there's been many, you know, progressive movements in the last, you know, couple of decades, um, you know, uh, promoting um, having women more involved in Judaism to whatever degree, and, and many other progressive movements. And the question is, what different? And you know, some of them are aligned with traditional Judaism, and some of them are a break from tradition in some way. And the question is, how do we differentiate? Right? How do we? It's sort of a fine line what you're describing, where we want something which is recognized by Torah, but there are certain progressive movements that are, you know, sort of advocated for more women's involvement in Judaism that we recognize within traditional Judaism and some that we don't. And the question is, how do we differentiate? Okay, so I think it's it's really quite simple. This is actually a, a very basic question of halacha. In other words, it's very clear uh, that, for example, with regards to a minion, a minion is 10 adult Jewish males. I mean, that's clearly brought down already in Gemara, and it's never changed. It's not that it's 10 adult Jewish males because... Uh, because uh, because all all the women that week were busy at home with babies. That's you know that may be the reason the takana was made that way, but the statement is quite equivocally. This is who this is who counts in a minion, and and the same applies you know to to therefore to therefore leading said minion. Um, it's quite clear um, that 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 women cannot be judges on a rabbinical court, and therefore. Or there's a great deal of discussion. Therefore, they cannot uh, be certified rabbanim. They certainly can acquire certification to answer questions that women can answer. I mean, every one of every woman in Jewish history, pretty much, that observed kashrut answered kashrut questions. She didn't have to go running to the rabbi for every one of them. And you know, and certainly, uh, and certainly, uh, you know, giving women expertise uh, in matters of, of of family purity, where where someone might be diffident or, or unhappy about asking the question to a male rabbi and therefore might not get the correct answer. I mean, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's a change that's within the rubric of what we're talking about. But Halacha clearly says a minion. And, you know, and with regards to Torah reading, even though in there, there is a, a, some indication in the Talmud, uh, that that women can read from the Torah, it's very clear that this was not the practice, and it was specifically the practice not to do this for thousands of years. And this is the practice, and no one can come along and change it. And you know, as Rivka Slanim, because I shouldn't quote a man about this, Rivka Slanim, a great Hasidic scholar who happens to be a woman, um, co-director of Chabad at Binghamton, uh, not far from where Hadassah grew up, uh, may, may, you know, made the point that in the end, Judaism is about accepting the yoke of heaven. Judaism is about is about doing what Hashem asks of you. And Hashem, Hashem created Kohanim and Levim and Israelites for a reason, with each their own mission. And God created men and women, each with their own mission. Otherwise, we'd all be amoebas. If, uh, if God didn't need men and women, he would have created amoebas. And then, you know, we, we, we wouldn't we, there wouldn't be two genders. You know, and because everything physical has a spiritual purpose and source. Uh, so that's the distinction. The distinction is precisely your question. In best Jewish fashion, the question is the answer. Where halacha equivocally, unequivocally states a minion is 10 adult Jewish males, so that's never going to change, nor should it. Where the, where the halacha says that, be, with a, that because the majority of women are not, in, in essence, to put it simply, are not intellectually trained, therefore X, Y, and Z. Well, where the first premise doesn't apply, X, Y, and Z doesn't apply. It's, it, you know, 
once you carefully study the texts and the sources, everything becomes very clear. And again, so someone, now to play devil's, I want to say that, so to play devil's advocate, someone might come along and say, well, um, for thousands of years, this was the reality only certain women studied. Uh, You could say maybe the same thing applies, say, to Torah reading or something. The answer is no, because to read from the Torah, to be it's already been the practice for well over 1500 years or 1300 years at least in uh the western part of judaism i mean i don't mean the maghreb but i mean in europe that you call someone to the torah and about kore reads so you just have to be able to say a bracha and clearly women have been capable of saying a bracha for the last 1300 years yet it's unequivocally the practice not to call them not that they weren't called it's explicitly the custom not to call them for an aliyah to the Torah. So that halacha doesn't change. That practice in itself becomes a halacha. But with regards to learning, it's an entirely different ballgame. I mean, but but in the, you know, not, you know, there, there, uh, there's a very famous Jewish feminist who I won't mention because the, the sta- I won't mention the name because the statement is a negative one that where there's the rabbinic will is halachic way. Baloney, not true. That represents a complete misunderstanding of all of Judaism. Okay, so along these lines, a lot of people have this claim that, you know, women today, some women today who may be engaging in Torah study are not necessarily doing it for the right reasons. Not because they want to be more engaged in their Judaism, but because they're trying to make a statement. It's some sort of, um, you know, expression of their wanting to express a certain, you know, political leaning or whatever it is. Um, the question is, does that concept of lishma, like engaging in Torah study mean to be lishma, does that come up anywhere in any halachic writings um, or in the Rebbe's um, uh, writings either? Hadass, it's explicitly statement in the Talmud, that from studying not for the perfect reasons, you come to the to the perfect reasons. The only problem is Lakantir, where you're studying Torah specifically to attack the normative structure of halacha, which goes on a little bit. But even if someone says, look, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I, first of all, when someone says, hey, that we live in a world where women have so many more opportunities and are so much better educated and have, you know, and aren't limited the way society limited them. And therefore, I want to turn that to serve Hashem. Well, that that's exactly what the not just the Rebbe. I think a lot of great, uh, great men and women uh, in Judaism have understood that. That's great. Where so even someone comes along and says, hey, we never could do that. And I'm going to do that, you know. So uh, in the in the end, since there's no iser and they're going to learn Torah, big deal. You know what I mean? I, I'm you know uh, you you know the the Gemara in Brachas where the in, in Brachot the Talmud tells the story where Rabbi Gamliel got kicked out of the academy. It's a fascinating story. Uh, many of those listening to it are familiar familiar with it. And 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 he had guards who said only those who are as sincere within as their apparent outside desire to learn can come in. They removed those guards. They removed that requirement for spiritual purity. And there were 400 benches, each of, say, 10 students or 400 seats or 4,000 seats added that day. So, so, you know, so obviously the prevailing idea is that if we can include more people in learning, we don't have to worry so much about their motives. Unless the motives are specifically destructive. But otherwise, you know, so someone, you know, and, and, and just the opposite. I think I think there are people who 
will come along and learn, you know, because they sense it's something, you know, different and exotic and look, listen to, hey, you know, who cares? As long as they learn, there'll be a benefit. So let's get into a little bit of like what the Rebbe exactly said about women's learning. Because a lot of people have questions about this. Like what did, you know, what did the Rebbe actually say? Um, so can you, I, I think you already addressed some of this about the Rebbe's general um, approach to women's Torah learning. Um, can you talk specifically about Gemara? You know, Gemara obviously is like somewhat of a more controversial topic. And people want to know what did the Rebbe actually say about Gemara specifically, um, if and how it should be taught um, to women? So in the Yechidus with the Belzer Rebbe, which is recorded, the Rebbe addressed, addressed it in, in general. But in this, but let's begin by saying that the Rebbe was very precise, especially in his edited talks. In other words, when the Rebbe wanted us to go out and put tefillin on men or get women to light Shabbos candles or convince people to keep kosher or build mikvos, the Rebbe was very exact and specific, and we knew exactly what the Rebbe wanted. You know what I mean? So my point my point being that the Rebbe was pretty precise in his edited talks. And when he says, when the Rebbe says that we should reach the point where a woman can be of complete assistance to her husband and son in all their Torah studies, well, obviously that clues Gemara, Rashi, Tosis, you name it. You know, um, you know, uh, in, 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 other, in other words, you know, all the commentaries, uh, all the commentaries in the Talmud, the response, the, the, and more than that, uh, the, the, when the Rebbe talked about understanding halacha in its fullest sense, that means going back to the sources and understanding how halacha works. For example, someone who only learns halacha superficially might think, uh, you know, might think uh, that the changes that, that, that people want to make outside the realm of halacha with regards to communal prayer via v women is the same thing as women learning Talmud. And they're two completely different concepts in Allah that have no relationship whatsoever to each other. But if you don't have a sophisticated understanding of halacha and the Talmud and how these things are derived from the Talmud, you won't understand the difference. So that's all the more reason with the challenges we have today that people must have a sophisticated understanding. And that's the Fredeke Rebbe said already. That the, you know, this concern, this a statement, there's a concern that there might be some you know, some slightest, some some un some undue, uh, some unhealthy sophistication of intellect, uh, some you know, some kind of uh, of getting you know of negative cleverness emerging from women's study of Torah. So the previous Rebbe said, Yosef Yitzchok of Lubavitch, already in the nineteen twenties, <laughs> he says all this negativity, all this uh, all, all this dishonesty and slyness and and uh, immorality, you know, we're exposed to it. We have it all. So, so in, in a sense, that battle is lost already. Now we need the sophistication to combat that false sophistication. Yeah, I heard this story. I'm curious if you heard this as well um, about Mayor Shapiro that he was trying to gather support for the Beis Yaakov movement, and people said it says in the Gemara, "How can we teach them?" So he said. Well, Tyra is ki'ilum on the tiflis, but what they're learning now in the in the public schools is actually tiflis. <laughs> um, kind of a similar a similar idea. Have you heard that story before? Yeah, and, and the Fredrik Rebbe said a very similar thing. You know, it's I, I I have the I have the the texts I put together um, for this 
for this 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 talk I did over Pesach, and there's two letters from the Freydek Rebbe that pretty much say the same thing. Great minds think alike. Those people who take a literal understanding of this halacha, you know, argue, for example, that because there is there is Torah Shabal Peh, um, a literal and false, in my understanding, that because you know Rashi includes Torah Shabal Peh, includes Talmudic ideas, that women should not learn Rashi. And frankly, for the last 180 years, 90 years, women in Jewish schools, including including the most uh, conservative from Litvisha and many Hasidish uh, schools have been learning Rashi. And, you know, once you're allowed to learn Rashi, in other words, those who, who take this halacha literally incorrectly don't let girls learn Rashi either. So once you can learn Rashi, you can learn everything. Just, you know, just a point. You know, we've been... Once you're teaching Russia, you're teaching Talmud, you're teaching it. There seems to be some conflicting um, uh, messages that I've seen in the Rebbe's writing. So there are some letters where the Rebbe seems to imply that you know, if I say, for example, with Rashi, right, people would say that, you know, Tarshval Pad that is in the context of learning, you know, a lesson about Chumash would be okay. Or I've seen the Rebbe in letters say that, you know, Gemara should be learned in the context of practical halacha or Gemara that relates to practical halacha. Um, but my understanding, and, and this is the understanding that you have as well, is that there is a Sikha from Tavshanun and other places where it seems that the Rebbe implied that for any area of Talmud would be okay, not only if it's related to the practical, um, practical halacha. But there's another issue too. There's another issue too. I don't think this is necessarily so much as a as a radical change in the Rebbe's approach. When the Rebbe is writing to a school, right? So you're right, and I spoke about this, and it didn't come across in a recent article. When you're dealing with a school, you have to deal with the staff that you have. So obviously, if you have to start teaching girls Gemara, and they've been in school for a while, and you're starting in high school or something, you by by dealing with practical halacha, you're dealing with things they're familiar with, and then you can show them how it's derived from the Gemara. And also, if you have a choice, you know, since since uh, you know since since women don't have an obligation, you know, uh, to study Torah day and night solely for its own sake, they don't have that obligation. Uh, you might as well study with them something that's useful, um, and the teachers are going to be more familiar with these concepts. I, I think this is, uh, to my, in my mind. This is just an example of the Rebbe's extreme practicality, um, and I can, and, and, and in an amusing way, I can bring a proof from the, to this. You know, the Rebbe's practical, and I'll bring a proof to this from the Rebbe's car buying advice. In the nineteen fifties, early fifties, is a letter from the Rebbe to someone. You know, you don't have to buy a new car; you can buy a one-year-old car. It's fine too. In the sixties, the Rebbe says you could buy a car that's two or three years old. What changed? Cars became much more reliable with the advent of, you know, of better carburetors, transistorized ignition, and so on and so forth. I won't hold forth on the topic. Um, but uh, the point is, is that, you know, there's no religious thing over here. So by the same token, the Rebbe is talking to a school. The Rebbe wants to know what will work best in the school. And yes, if you have a choice of which Gemara to learn with a girl, why do you, uh, with a woman, with a girl, why do you teach your Gemara that relates to halacha? And that's the other thing, too. If you've never learned Gemara before, and I've seen this because I've taught women and girls who never learned Gemara before, it, it takes a while to understand that every piece of Gemara you learn, even if it's about, you know, something in the Beit HaMikdash, is relevant to all of halacha in this amazing, gorgeous, intertwined uh, orchard. So... It's easier to start with something where you can answer the question, why is this relevant? Okay, 
there are six different opinions with regards to what constitutes borer, picking something out on Shabbat that you're not allowed to do. And we happen to follow all of them, right? It's clear. So what I'm saying is there's a, a host of practical reasons and a spiritual reason. Start with something that's relevant where they have a direct benefit from understanding the Gemara right away. But the end result, what the Rebbe wants to see, and not just the Rebbe, what Judaism wants to see, in in the Sicha from 1990, from Tafshanun, is that in the, the end result is that they should have a command of the entire range of Torah, the same as we hope their husbands and sons. You know, all those things about you know learning practical, you know, halacha and so on, it's great advice for all the reasons I gave. But that's a specific answer from the Rebbe. What should we do if we're starting to do this Gemara thing? It's not an ideological statement. The Yechidus with the Belzer Rebbe and the, and the Sicha of Tashanun is a public ideological uh, manifesto and statement that is all-encompassing, as opposed to a specific answer. Because everything you quoted isn't a Sicha. It's not a talk or a discourse. Everything you quoted are specific letters. And you have to be very careful of establishing global premises from, yes, the Rebbe allowed the letters to be published. There are many important lessons in these letters. But they are, any time you want to derive something from a letter, whether it's a letter by the Lubavitch Rebbe or Bochanan Wasserman, for that matter, some of his letters are published, or Rav Cook even. You have to understand the context, who wrote the letter, what the question is, and what the answer is. Of any Galilee Israel. So you felt that the Rebbe did not believe that Gemara is something that's only for select few, but it should be something that should be taught on a communal level um, to women across the board in the community. I think it's pretty clear. I, I think uh, I think that's why you why you started Batsheva. And quite frankly, you know you can you know you can give yet another class in the Sicha and be, be quite clear. Go through you know, go through all the sources there, including the ones from Zechariah and the previous Rebbe's letters, and I think it all becomes crystal clear. I don't think, you know, I, you know, I think that it goes, I think that it's different from what's been done until now, but that doesn't mean it's a change in halacha. This, in a way, this is far less radical than the question of, can you put tefillin on someone who maybe didn't wash Natilas Yadayim? The answer is they probably washed their hands, and but the question of putting on tefillin something washed as you die, which the Rebbe answered uh, quite acceptably, people do wash their hands and so on, is a much bigger question than than women learning Baba Basra. And nevertheless, the Rebbe went ahead with Mivtza tefillin, with the tefillin campaign. And, and why do you think the Rebbe, you said that with this, this um, you know, movement, the Rebbe wasn't necessarily as clear about how exactly it should be uh, implemented as he was with other Mivtzaim, and can you explain why? I think it's very clear. I think it's what I've explained to many people the, that when you, if you do, a, if I tell you to go put mezuzahs up on people's doors, so you go put mezuzahs up. If I tell you to put filling off, I tell you to learn Rambam, you learn Rambam. Which, by the way, um, the, the Rebbe expected on the whole, uh, you know, that that you know women should learn at least one chapter a day and ideally three chapters a day. You know, but uh, the, the point is, you know, and there's a lot of. You know, learning Rambam is learning the whole Talmud in a mini way. But my my point is is that is that is that the Rebbe gave very clear general direction how to implement it on a personal level it has to do with women where women's time 
with, with in schools. It has to do with who's available to teach, uh, what kind of teachers you're going to hire. You know, you're talking about a fundamental institutional change, and that takes time. And I, you know, I don't think the Rebbe demands an institutional change that's impossible to achieve. The Rebbe didn't, the Rebbe said this is the goal, and not, it's it's been it has been uh, thirty years since then, thirty two years. We should have, in my opinion, we should have been working much harder. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was, you know, I was thinking about this issue, you know, ever since I was a kid and heard the Rebbe speak to the Belzer Rebbe. And I was surprised that, you know, that after that Yechidus, nothing pretty much changed in my sister's education or for that matter, my daughter's education, though they got a good education, um, you know, in our institutions. And, and I guess, and I don't, it makes no difference to us. I, I think that, that, um, that we've now had 32 years, we really should be further along uh, in this process. And and the reason the Rebbe wasn't specific is because it, it takes ge- a generation to, you know, to create. One thing the Rebbe was very emphatic about, that the healthiest thing is that men should teach men, women should teach women. You know, it, it's healthy on numerous levels, uh, intellectually, spiritually, and for all kinds of, of other reasons that we're fully aware of. So you need to develop a cadre of teachers and so on. So, you know, the Rebbe was general because, because, uh, because uh, you, you know, uh, a specific statement, you know, what uh, everyone should learn the third parak above a basra cheska sabata. You know what I mean? It's not possible. You don't have the bandwidth. You don't have the teachers. You don't have the background you need to do that. So, uh, so I, you know, I think the Rebbe set out a, a general pattern, you know, and uh, it's up to us to implement it. And uh, it's time to get working. Thank you so much, Rabbi Yafi. I want to remind everyone listening that we're going to be putting together a more comprehensive, um, expanded booklet of sources, including many of the sources that Rabbi Yafi mentioned, um, which you can download on our website. So, um, yeah, head over to our website to, to download that and you could read all of this stuff inside yourself. Um, thank you so much, Rabbi Yafi. It's been a pleasure. By the way, I, I want to, uh, by the way, I want to conclude with one thing. There was nothing um, more important, in a sense, to, to the to the Rebbe. I mean, besides Yiddishkeit as a whole, than than the studying about and the endeavor uh, to really have a consciousness and a desire to bring Mashiach. But even though the Rebbe spoke a great deal about this matter and these things, you never saw you never saw from the Rebbe as specific. You know, we had twelve psukim, right? You know. Very specific, the twelve psukim, you know, uh, for kids to learn. You didn't have a highly specific playbook. You had hundreds of statements and all kinds of deep ideas, but there was no specific playbook for Mivza Mashiach. Be precisely because it's it's a matter of changing the you know a mind and an approach and so on and so forth and and you know reframing the way we look at the world and as the Rebbe said, opening our eyes and and seeing the world what it is and acquire a yearning for godliness that turn that becomes a yearning to experience godliness that should only be done with Mashiach and so on. There's no specific uh program for that because it's all encompassing. The same thing with this with this issue. Uh but I you should say that as you put together sources, starting with the Freda Rebbe, you'll discover that the Rebbe addressed this a lot of times. It wasn't it was something very much on the Rebbe's mind for a very long period of time. And I, and and last thing is, I'll remind you that the most comprehensive discussion 
of a system of Hasidic Hizbonin, uh, I won't call it meditation, but the Hizbonus, the type of thinking that Hasidus Chabad demands as a fundamental part of our service of Hashem, the most comprehensive discussion of that is a letter from the previous Rebbe to a woman who led that first group of intense Hasidus learning in Riga, um, the Achos the, HaTmimim. The and Tali Lowenthal wrote a fantastic article on this letter, and you should absolutely publish it in your source book. And those, those listening should find that article and, and, uh, and read it. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rabbi Yafi.